Well, good morning. It is also my privilege to welcome you here. I'm uh, Reg Taves, the transitional lead pastor here at Forest Grove Community Church, and uh, welcome to the Attridge campus. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning, and thank you for Leo and Helen for reading for us this morning as well. As we think about uh, the reading that was done, the busyness of the season, how many of you find that, is that sort of something that you grapple with, the busyness of the season? You have, you know, maybe have work events and shopping that needs to be done and all of those things. We, Brenda and I were out uh, yesterday and we were in some of the areas close, Preston area here, and just trying to drive away around and actually do some shopping for the church. And it was like, this is crazy. Like, I, this is not fun. Like, how do you get in and out of these parking lots? Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it feels tight and it feels like traffic isn't moving and uh, and hopefully you're not finding your life that kind of busy, and you're finding places where you can get rest and renewal. And though this morning as we gather together, I hope that in this next, you know, like 30 minutes where we're just going to spend some time in God's Word, that this is a time where you can just reflect on what is God saying to you this morning. If you're online this morning, what is God saying to you this morning? Just to be quiet. There are so many distractions in our world, and I find that as uh, I've you know growing up without a phone, and now having one, to realize the distraction of what uh, a phone uh, is for us in these days, and so just learning to manage that, I think, is important for us this morning. As we dive into what is good news, uh, we are diving into the good news of love. There's good news found in love. There's this example we want to look at this morning of the love that, uh, that Joseph shows to Mary, and I think he shows it to uh, God as well. Joseph is often one of those characters in, in the Bible who sort of doesn't play much of a role. Have you ever watched, you know, like the, the children's musical or the children's event that takes place? You know, like you choose the, the oldest looking boy who doesn't want to talk because the Joseph role is like silent. Uh, I don't think he was silent, but we tend to, that's what we sort of do at Christmas, is we think he's silent, and I would suggest he's often overlooked, or he plays a very bit part in the Christmas story, in the real Christmas story, and yet I don't believe that is true, because he is part of the coming of the Messiah, and his role is significant because he becomes the earthly father of Jesus. So imagine what that would be like. Here you have a child who will never make a mistake. Now, as a parent, are you going to make mistakes? I know as a parent I have made lots of mistakes. I've gone to my kids and apologized to them as adults and said, I was not a good dad in this situation. And they have been, my kids have been very gracious to me and said, Dad, it really wasn't that bad. And it was like, well, it was bad from my side, so I can imagine from your side it was actually worse than what you're saying. But Joseph would have had to raise this child. And so as we examine his role today, we're going to see a person who loves God and loves his wife-to-be. And we will also see God's love revealed to us in his son. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Thank you that you are the one who guides us. You are the one who speaks to us, and so we invite these words that I'm going to say to be actually translated to each person in this room and online, whether today or into the future, 
to be used for your glory and for the purpose of drawing us together corporately closer to who you are. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The text that we had read for us this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And he's one of the gospel writers, and he starts his gospel by sharing a genealogy, which is a history of sort of where you came from, that traces Jesus all the way back to Abraham and David, and makes the conclusion that Joseph is Jesus' father. If you read the genealogy, we didn't read it, but if you read it, you may say, Genealogies, I just skip that when you might read my Bible. I just skip the genealogies. But it, it, it goes back to Abraham's is where it starts, and it goes through David, one of Israel's kings. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 3, you will also see a genealogy that traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. Now, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and from them, the line ending in Abraham, which is where it starts, would be critically important for his story. His focus would be on Jesus, the Son of God. Luke is writing to a Gentile audience and would focus on Jesus being a Son of Man. And both are important for us today. As Matthew's story begins after the genealogy, he looks at Joseph. Now Joseph was a man looking forward to his official wedding day. And thinking, this is going to be great. Betrothal in that day, which is engagement, which is the word that I had Leo use today. Engagement, that this, in Jewish culture, this was seen as basically you are already married. Without the bride and groom actually living together, but you would be seen as married. And the only way to annul that engagement isn't as we would today, when it becomes, and it's unfortunate, you know, here's the ring, but it would have been actually having to write a letter of divorce that would need to be witnessed by two or three people and be signed off by an elder or a judge within the city or town in which you were living. So this time ahead of the actual wedding was a time of preparation. Joseph would have been preparing and thinking about what it was going to be like to live with Mary and to have her as his wife. So in that day, they also would have done interesting things, like they would have had houses, and you would have taken a part of your family home, and you may have added on a suite. That, that would be the understanding. So they, he's might be building this suite thinking, this is where Mary and I are going to live. And so there's a lot of joy and anticipation and expectation of what's going to be happening. And then we have Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And we see this story take a very different direction. And as we look at the first two verses, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Matthew just starts with, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Now that would have rocked his world. And that would have shown, like, now what do I do with this? And we'll, we'll get to that. As I look at this first section of two verses, verse 18 and 19, what I see here is that love cares for all. When I look at Joseph in this situation, it is love caring. The relationship for him looks broken. His future wife is pregnant. He knows that it's not his child, Mary most likely told Joseph of her meeting with the angel and the Holy Spirit. 
And Joseph would have heard that. And then she went away and was with her cousin, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant in a miraculous way. And when she comes back, she can't hide that she's pregnant. She's probably about, you know, could be six months along. And so he's going, like, what do I do with this? And you could understand his doubting. Like, even if she told him, it's like, Mary, I want to believe you, but this just sounds a little crazy to me. And we know from Luke's gospel that, that uh, this was going on and all of these things were taking place and it was just difficult for him to grapple with all of this. So what was Joseph to do? It says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What was he to do? Well, the first thing we see here is that he's a follower of the law. He was seen as somebody who is faithful. He loved God. He loved God first of all. And I would say that as we live our lives and as we look at how are we going to love in our world today, it needs to start with understanding our love, not our love for God, but his love for us. And we'll unpack that more of that this morning. But to recognize that he loves us. And that everything that we do should come out of his love for us. And we just, it's our response to him. Joseph was a lover of God. He was faithful to the law. And he was going to show his love for God by obeying the commands. Jesus actually says in his, when he was here on earth, he said, who are, who are those who love the Father? Who are those who love God? Those who obey his commands. So that was Joseph. Joseph loved God. And he wanted to do what was right. And the law said that he could divorce her. He could even shame her over this. But what we see here also is that Joseph was compassionate. He wasn't just holding on to the law and saying, this is what's right, I'm going to do it. But he was being very compassionate. He's going to divorce her quietly, the text says. With these two or three witnesses, he would hand her a notice of divorce and it would be done. In that day, that was a compassionate and just response. This showed his love for Mary as well. So he made this decision. One of the commentaries puts it this way, and I thought, well, and it speaks of Joseph, and it says, as he brooded over the matter alone in the stillness of the night, his domestic prospects darkened and his happiness blasted for life, his mind slowly making itself up to the painful step, yet planning how to do it in the way least offensive. Joseph loved God. Joseph loved Mary. His decision was made. This is what he was going to do. And now we see God speaks. And in this next section of verse 20 and 21, we see that Love learns to listen and follow God's direction. In verse 20, after he'd considered this, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Notice the angel calls Joseph a son of David. Now he's you know, he's, he doesn't think he's going to be a king anytime soon. He's a carpenter. 
He's a regular blue-collar worker. But the angel says, remember your heritage. Remember where you came from. And you are a son of David, a king. You come from this kingly stock. And then he confirms what I would suggest Mary had already told him. This child that she's going to have is going to come from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, as he's waiting, as he's made a decision, but now he hears from God, he, he's hearing. He heard directly from God through an angel, through this dream that he had. And Joseph recognizes that it is God who is speaking. And so as he loves God, his response is that he follows God's direction. He followed God's direction. He agrees and he follows in obedience. And again, we, you know, we read these texts so quickly and go, yeah, okay, he just did it. It's like, oh man, he would have struggled and gone, okay, I'm going to do this. What are the implications for this? The angel gives him the information to help him. He says some things like, he says, you, you will know the gender of the child. It's going to be male. And you're going to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. He was saying to Joseph, you are the chosen one who has chosen to raise this child. I want you to note that it's, it's an important thing for him to say, you will name him Jesus. So it was up to the father in that day to name the child. But the father meaning literally the biological father. Now Joseph knowing, I am not the biological father. So for him to say, I will name him Jesus, is to say, I will take on the role of being this one's father, even if it's under adoption. So those of you who understand and are, have adopted children, you'll know that this is a big decision. You don't just kind of step into it. And Joseph is making this big decision, that he will be known as the father of the child. And that he is taking Jesus as his own. We also see who this child is going to be here. Jesus the Savior. This is a critical piece. As it harkens back to all the promises from the Old Testament. This child is going to be born with a purpose. In Psalm 130 verses 7 and 8 it says, Israel put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Isn't that what, when we read the text in Matthew, doesn't it, it just reflects the same thing that we see here in Psalm 130. I want to point us for just a minute to a, a story. In Matthew chapter 9, you can look at it. I'm just going to give you a quick highlight. And then the reason I bring it is because it really fleshes out this, he will save his people from their sins. It's a practical story. It's a story of a bunch of friends. It, it probably says in your Bible in Matthew 9, the story of a paralyzed man. It should really say the story of some amazing friends. Because it's his friends who bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. And Jesus actually recognizes the friends in the story and says, because of the faith of your friends, I'm going to heal you. And then Jesus goes about this work of healing. And, and there's a problem because he starts with, I, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the people who were there who know the law would say, you're blaspheming. You're blaspheming God. You can't forgive sins. You're just a normal human being. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not. And he saw, and it says in, in verse 2, the last half of verse 2 in Matthew 9, when Jesus saw their faith, that's the friends, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's like, well, no, that's not healing him physically. No, it's healing him spiritually. 
So there was something that needed to be done, a transaction needed to take place that was going to touch and heal him spiritually. And then he was, Jesus was going to do something physically. Jesus asked those who think he's speaking out of turn if it's easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. And he says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so the outpouring of that was the internal work of forgiving sins was shown by the outward work of healing. And this story helps us to understand that the promise given to Joseph was being fulfilled in Jesus in that day. Matthew now in Matthew 1 looks back at the Old Testament prophecies and places this incident right in the middle of what was foretold. Emmanuel, God with us. Verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God is love. Emmanuel, he's present with us. God is love. If you read 1 John, if you, if you want to do some reading on this this week, go to 1 John and just read 1 John. There's just God is love. It's just poured out there. What I see in this, in this text, this idea of God with us, is that God is present and active. And that's what love is. Love is known by its presence. I've been with families who have been grieving a loss of a loved one or who are facing a harsh uh, physical, medical diagnosis. And often I go to places like that and I wonder, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Maybe you've been there with family members or friends. And I've learned over the years that the most important thing that I can do is to be present. Just to say, I care about you by being in this space right now with you. And I believe God is telling us the same thing. I am present with you. No matter what you're going through today, the past week, whatever the future holds, God is present. And I hope as we think about Emmanuel, God with us, we stop and go, Emmanuel, God loves us because he's present with us. He shows his love by being with us. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There was a present day response to that. King Ahaz had a, a young woman who was, became pregnant. Not as a virgin, just became pregnant and had a child. And now this was also a foretelling, a looking forward to when the Messiah was coming. And so we have this wonderful promise to us of God being with us. We find this promise at the opening of the book of Matthew. It tells us that God is present in Jesus. Now I want you also to look at the end of Matthew and see that God is present where Jesus says these words, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, God's presence wasn't just in the manger, wasn't in a baby, wasn't when Jesus was here on earth. God's presence is today. It is now. And he's with us. And it shows us that he loves us. Love is expressed through presence. Being with someone shows love. 
It isn't just being physically present. I can be present. My wife and I can be sitting in the same room, and we can be completely disengaged. We can both be on our phones, focused on what, whatever we're doing, or I can be working. We, we can be present, but now I'm t- going to take it up a whole nother level and say, or you can be present. Like you actually say, I am going to be here in this moment and I'm going to think about it and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to set aside distractions so I can focus on being with you. Brenda and I are traveling back to Chilliwack and I know that when we get back there we're going to have some grandkids that are just going to show up. And when they show up, I purposely put aside my device and go, I want to be present. Not just physically in the room, I want to actually be present with you. I do it by eye contact, physical touch. Uh, at our house, the boys do jump hugs. No, they all do. Even the girls do the jump hugs. So which means they take about a, a 20, a 10 minute, a 10 minute, a 10 foot run toward grandpa and he's got to catch them. Now I'll tell you, one of them is 120 pounds. It is getting to be a challenge, but I, I'm learning how to do that without wrecking my back so far. So if I do come back one of those times and I'm limping, you can just say, so, that's your, that was your oldest grandson, huh? And you weren't very careful. But being present, being there, available, engaged, removing distractions. God is present and invites us to be present as we love others. In Matthew 1, verses 24 and 25, we see that love is costly. Joseph responds with love. It is costly. What do people think? What was the gossip going around? What was it going to cost Joseph? It was going to cost him something. People were going to talk. And it shows us that doing hard things is love. Doing hard things is actually loving. Love is often thought of as a warm feeling toward another, and that's definitely one definition. But I believe deep love is found in doing hard things. Today, as I was um, looking quickly through Facebook this morning, there was a great article on the New York Times. It's an editorial written by Timothy Keller on forgiving. And you know what? Forgiving is hard. When people do things, forgiving is hard. And I I won't get into the whole article. I would encourage you to go find it. Search New York Times editorials. It's in there. But he he addresses some of the issues in our culture, in our day. And I think it's so true that we just have lost the art and the way of forgiving. And he talks about how important it is for us to be forgiving. And that is hard. Those are hard things. One of the things he said that that I'll mention to you this morning is that he said marriages that survive are marriages that learn to forgive. If you can't learn to forgive in marriage, you will never, that marriage likely will not survive because you're going to hold grudges, because you're going to be looking for vengeance. Now, forgiveness does also, doesn't mean we just ignore everything. And his, again, his article unpacks that, so have a look. We also know in this love is costly that that Joseph, as I've said earlier, Joseph takes Jesus as his own son. Again, he says, he gave him the name Jesus. So, you know, we, we read that, and again, we just like, whatever. It's like, no, he's saying, this is my child. This is mine. I am, he is mine. He's going to be mine, his own son.
As we think of that and I think of other texts that talk to us about what God is coming to do, uh, in Isaiah 43.1 it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Who's, Jesus? Who's, who's, who's the prophet speaking to? I want you to know this morning he's speaking to you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't know God. Or I don't know where God is. But I want to tell you this morning that this word is true for every single person in this room. I have summoned you by name. And we respond and say, thank you, God, for loving us, for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for loving us. Because we know that we are his. I've added one more text, which wasn't read for us this morning. But I want to read it. It's found in Luke chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, turn there. Or go to your app and turn there. But Luke chapter 2. And we don't often, you know, we read this text in a different context. And I want to read it in the context of Joseph and his love for Mary this morning. So in Luke chapter 2, in verse 4, from verse 4 to 7, it says, So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no, no guest room available for them. Why do I add that text? Because I think it, it finishes the story of Joseph and Mary. It finishes the story of Joseph's love for her. Because I would suggest that as I read those texts, the words that came to me is that love offers commitment. Love offers commitment. Mary was pregnant. She was probably, I mean, it says she had the baby there. But it could have been, he could have left her at home. He could have said, you stay in Nazareth. It's okay, I'll just quickly go. I'll travel, we'll do this thing. I'll get it done and come back. No, he brings her along. I don't know why, it doesn't say text doesn't tell us. Maybe it was for her safety. There would have been people that would have said, Mary, you're, you, know, you should be divorced. Could have been his own family members would have said, what are you doing, Joseph? You're messing up. To me, this shows his commitment. He brings Mary with him, takes her along, took, him, uh, took her for her protection. He was her protector, which is one of the things that someone who loves someone does. They protect the other. Scripture tells us we put other people ahead of ourselves. That's what love is. The other thing that was important is that God wanted to make sure that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. So he took her to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be born in that city. I don't know if that was on Joseph's mind. I doubt it. But it was needed to complete the fulfillment of the foretelling of where Jesus was going to be born and the prophets, what the prophets had said. Oh, we've heard a lot of different things about love. Let me wrap it up this morning. Now what? As I started this morning, I want to finish. Our motivation to love others must start with God's love for us. 
If you and I decide we can do this on our own, we can do it for a while. But when it gets really hard, where do we lean in? Our motivation to love comes from God's love for us. Emmanuel, God with us. There's nothing else you take home today that you would simply say, God is with me. God is for me. That you would hold on to that. Secondly, as we close, you and I need to recognize that this love that God has for us costs him his life. So as we accept this gift of love and say, thank you, God, for loving me, we say, wow, that was a costly love. The manger leads to the cross and the empty tomb. And Christmas is a time not to forget that. Sometimes we focus on the birth and the the manger. We forget the purpose of why Jesus actually came. Jesus never forgot his purpose. And so we need to stop and say, if I've never received this wonderful gift of God's love, that I would say, thank you, Jesus, for this gift of forgiveness for my sins so I can have a relationship with God. If you need to do that this morning, I would love to speak with you, pray with you, uh, walk with you on that journey because it's the most exciting journey. It's the one that leads to health and life. Finally, I would say this. Our response is to love God back. And how do we do that? Well, Joseph said he, you know, he obeyed the commands, yes. But Joseph also loved Mary. And so I would suggest our response to loving God back is by loving those around us. Loving those around you. you have somebody in your life that you find hard to love? you have somebody in your life you find hard to love? I don't want to know. Maybe it's me. It's okay. My question for us is how are we going to express God's love that we've received? How are we going to flip it and start giving it away? There's just so many wonderful opportunities like I think, about, I think about the bridge and we're saying, hey, we're gathering some things for the bridge. And I know when I was here a, a while back, I bought a bunch of stuff and brought it. Um, uh, this next week, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to purchase some Tim Hortons cards. I don't know how many there are. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I'm going to purchase some and I want to say, this is part of what I can do to give. It's part of showing love. I don't even know who the people are who are going to get it. So that's actually easy. So let me go back to the harder one. What about those person that you find hard to care for and love? What could you do to show love for them? Maybe it's forgiving. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. How are we going to be those who express God's love? As you think about that, love could be costly. When I forgive others, I actually give up the right I give up the right for vengeance. And I read the text that says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I say, it's not going to be mine. It's his. God's going to do what God's going to do. So, respond out of love for you. So embrace his love first of all. Don't don't get lost and I got to do a bunch of stuff. Really, really, really embrace. God loves me. Emmanuel, God is with me. So as you go from this place this morning, as you go from your home, every time you go out, God goes with you. 
And you can love others because he's loved you. Let's pray. Invite the team to come up. Father, as we think of these days, we think of what your son did. We think of Joseph this morning and we think of his love for you and his love for Mary, his wife. And Lord, as we unpack that, it's, it's hard to even grasp maybe some of the things he struggled with. And yet he, he was committed to you because he knew that you loved him. So my prayer for us this morning is that all of us in this space, all of us who will listen to this, who will hear this, will say, thank you, God, that you have called me by name and we are yours. I've called you by name and you are mine. Lord, I pray for the people or the person in this room who needs to hear this word, you are mine and they would receive it this morning. Lord, thank you that you love us and that we love others because of it. For we pray this in your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen.